Colossians chapter 1, if you're able to stand, I'm going to ask that you will for the reading of the Word of God this morning. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, we'll read on through verse 18. The Bible says in verse 10 of Colossians chapter 1, it's uh, verse uh, 12, uh, Colossians chapter 1, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You may be seated. Uh, titled today's message, Who is Jesus to you and what are you doing about him? Who is Jesus to you and what are you doing about him? Uh, you know, when it comes to the cross and the power of the risen Savior, this shows the operation of God. It tells us exactly how he's doing what he's doing. He's doing it through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And seemingly, Christ on the cross, well, to the Jews it was weakness, to the believer... And for all of us that are here that are saved today, that's strength, that's power, that's everlasting life. And so God sent his son not to condemn the world, but through him that the world might be saved. And so we've been freely given salvation. It cost us nothing. If you're saved today, can you say amen? amen. <laughs> it's cost us nothing. It's cost him everything, didn't it? And so he paid a heavy price for us to enter into heaven, that the doors of heaven might be opened, that we might have a great relationship with our Savior, and he paid a great price. And so... Here's the challenge to you this morning. When you think of Christ, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you, and what do you do about him? What do you do about Jesus? Who is he to you, and what do you do about him? And so I share that with you because Christ should be what I consider paramount in our lives. He should have preeminence. He should have first place in everything in our lives. And I believe this set of verses that we see here in Colossians is Paul's writing to the church of Colossae. He's saying, hey, listen, Christ should be the center of all, everything in our lives. And so I came up with a couple of things that I want you to think about, and, and it is, who is Jesus to you, and what are you doing about him? And I think there's three stages to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the first things that has to happen for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's got to be present in your life, first of all. He has to be in your life. He has to be present. What do I mean by that? That means that at some point in your life, you have personally prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save you, and you know if you were to die today that heaven is your home because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You understand what he did on the cross at Calvary for you. And by the way, when you trust Christ as Savior, that's the presence of Christ in your life. He's now present in your life. Amen. Well, secondly is this. One of the things that Christ needs to have, and this is another stage in the relationship, he needs to have prominence in your life. If he has prominence in your life, he has first place. There's things that uh, I move and listen to him, and, and I make decisions based upon who he is, not on what I want or what I want to do. It doesn't come by way of emotion. It doesn't come by way of feelings. It comes by way of truth and righteousness. It comes by a spirit of truth. It comes by the power of God. And so he has prominence in my life. But the Bible goes a little bit further, doesn't it? First of all, he must be present. Secondly, another stage in your life is he ought to be prominent in your life. And thirdly, this, he should have preeminence in your life. He's above all things. He's above all things. If he has preeminence in your life, this is another stage in your life where Jesus Christ has preeminence. There is nothing more important than my relationship with him and who he is in my life. He has preeminence. So I'm going to challenge you this morning with, first of all, about the presence of Christ in our life. If you look at verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, this is presence. This is in the company with. He made us meet. He qualified us. He made us eligible. He helped us make the grade. He, he qualified us to be able to be in God's presence now. He's the one who did this for us. And so when you look at that, you see that. Uh, I shared with the fellows, I was excited. I saw the Cleveland Browns. They actually did pretty well for a preseason game. And it's always amazing to me in this area because it's like they win the Super Bowl if they win a game. I don't know. People get really excited about that stuff. 
But they got a long way to go, don't they? There's a long road to hoe. And, and the thing of it is, is that they have to win enough games so that they can get into a postseason situation, right? So the only way they even have a chance at a Super Bowl is they have to qualify first, don't they? To qualify, they have to run the race, don't they? Here's the thing. Jesus ran the race for us. <laughs> he qualified us, amen? We just place our faith and trust in him. Now, everybody's counting on Baker Mayfield this year. I know that. And, boy, they've got a good receiving team. I can see it out there. And I'm excited for the team. I really am. I'm a huge Steelers fan, but I'm excited for the Cleveland Browns. I just want to see how far they go this year. I told Chris one year, I said, man, I think they're going to be in the playoffs. And they went 1-16. and 16. I was like, ooh, I got that wrong, didn't I? Or 0-16. Oh I don't remember what it was. Man, don't have our pastor be a prophet. He ain't got it. <laughs> Here's the thing. His presence in our lives qualifies us now to be partakers of an inheritance of the saints in light. This is eternal life, isn't it? How many of you love the passages in 1 John where he says, and this is the record, that, or uh, it says, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You look at that and you say to yourself, man, what a beautiful passage, isn't it? He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. To have eternal life, you've got to have Jesus Christ. You can't separate the two. When you read the scriptures and you see this, these things have I written unto you uh, 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 that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. God teaches us something in these passages and what he's telling us is this, to qualify for the inheritance, you've got to know Jesus. <laughs> you've got to know him. You cannot live without him. So when you come to the scriptures, Jesus must be your Savior for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and only you can make the choice to trust him as Savior. Now listen, there are religions right here in our own town and all around us that teach people if you do enough good things, you can get into heaven. And that is not true according to the scriptures. And when you open your Bible and you read it, you understand, you clearly understand the way to heaven is Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get in. You're not going to pray somebody in. You're not going to do something to get somebody out of hell. Hell is an eternal place just like heaven is an eternal place. Your choice, your decision is made now. It's not made later. It's made while they're here on earth. That's why I challenge people with their position with Jesus Christ. Is he present in your life? And I pray this morning, everyone that's seated in this auditorium, that you know that Christ is present in your life. And so what we find here is Paul talking to the people of this church and tells them, that they must have a relationship with Christ. And here is what Christ accomplished so that you are qualified. I love some of the passages here, and I want you to underline some of these things in your Bible. When you look at this, he says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. First of all, Christ delivered us. What did he deliver us from? Look at what that passage says. It says, Who hath delivered us from the power of what? Darkness. He delivered us. When you think about that word, delivery, you think about something showing up. He rescued you the day or that day you received Jesus Christ as Savior. Listen, Jesus Christ rescued you from an eternal hell. That's him delivering us, amen? That's what he did for us on the cross. This is the day that we called on the name of the Lord, and he rescued my soul from an eternal destruction. And so that's what Jesus did for you. Now listen, to qualify for this inheritance, you've got to have Christ present in your life. He has to be present in your life. When I look at this, I think about King David's cry in the Psalms. Listen to this. He said in Psalm 35, 1 and 3, in verse 9, he said, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of the shield and the buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. And then he says in verse 9, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Listen, there is an enemy. His name is Satan. And he's against us. And anybody that is not saved, he wants to keep them from getting saved. David cries out, and he had a real enemy. Listen, we have a real enemy. And that enemy is Satan. And he's always fighting against you, especially those that have Christ present in their life. He's going to fight against you. He doesn't want you to serve him. He doesn't want you to think about him. He, doesn't want, he wants to distract your mind and distract you from having that wonderful presence of Jesus Christ in your life. Now, if you're saved, it can't be taken away, but if he's present in your life, listen, the devil surely wants to distract you from that relationship. When I share this with you, I thought about Revelation 12:10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation, amen? Now has come. 
Oh, it's here. Now has come salvation. Hey, listen, he said this in Revelation 12, 1, and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. I want to tell you something. Satan is against you. He's accusing you day and night against, listen, he's going to God and saying, listen, they're not worthy. They're not worth it. And then he's coming to you and he's trying to distract you and he's trying to get your mind off of him. He's trying to stop you from serving him. Hey, listen, if he can keep you from serving God, he has you weak in where he wants you. <laughs> Hebrews 12, or 2, 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. <laughs> hey, listen, before you got saved, you were in bondage. You didn't have a choice. You're going to serve Satan. <laughs> you were going to serve the world. You're going to serve the flesh. You're going to serve Satan. That's what you're going to do. When you get saved, you have a choice now. You're at a why. You see, the choice that you have now is I get to choose Christ or I choose the world. See, that's a choice you make now. As a saved individual, the Holy Spirit resides in us. Amen? He, he indwells us. He's with us. You come to that Y in the road. There wasn't a Y before. It was called Broad Street, and that's the only street you could walk down because you were not saved. <laughs> But now that you're saved, you come to a why and you have a choice. And God said, you choose to serve me or you choose to serve the world. Listen, it comes down to a decision on your part now. And listen, he delivered us. Amen. He delivered us. He has no power. The only power he has is the power you choose to give him. You know the other thing he said? He not only delivered us, look at this. He translated us. Boy, that's a powerful word. When you look this up and you start studying it out, he moved us into the kingdom of his dear son. I love this. He carried us away. He exchanged us. He transferred what I was to what I am now. He made an exchange. You see what it is. He put off the old man, the former conversation, according to deceitful lust. Hey, listen, he put off that old man. And here it is. He said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And now you put on the new man. The new man, which is after righteousness, the true holiness of God. There's a change in thinking, isn't there? And so what did he do? He transferred me. He moved me over to his kingdom now. Amen. You see, when he delivered us, he delivered us from darkness. We no longer have to live that way. When he translated us, he means that he translated me so that I'm now a part of that kingdom. Amen. And listen, I ought to live like I'm in the kingdom already. So he translated us. He brought us to the place of not serving the flesh, but serving him. A desire to serve him. He gave us the Holy Spirit when we got saved. Now... He is building me a mansion. Can you imagine that? <laughs> the one who died for me is building me a mansion. You say, preacher, you're nuts. No, I'm not. It's in the Bible. Amen. He told me he's going to go do this for me. He clearly said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So the other side of that is, he must have told us then, right? <laughs> There's a lot of mansions there. Now, I can't afford one on this earth, but I promise you, There'll be one in heaven for me. And you know how I know it? I can count on Jesus. <laughs> he said, I am building you a mansion. And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Woo! <laughs> He's gone and done something for me already. I'm not even there yet. He's working on it. He's preparing me a place to be. And he says this. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Amen. Wow. That's a big promise, isn't it? I saved you from an eternal hell. I headed off up into heaven. By the way, I'm building you a mansion, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I read this, and he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, <laughs> there you may be also, right? What a wonderful Savior. Listen, the presence of God gives us this inheritance. It's what gives us this. This is the presence of God in my life. When I look at this, not only did he deliver us, not only did he translate us, I want you to get a hold of this. He says in this passage, he said, in whom we have redemption. <laughs> we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of what? Sins. Listen, if you're saved today, this is wonderful. 
One of the things about us is we sing a song, only a sinner saved by what? Grace. What are we? We're only a sinner saved by what? Grace. Here's the thing. How many of you love the fact that 1 John 1, 9 exists in the scriptures? If we confess our sins, it's now plural, isn't it? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, he gave us that because he wants to maintain fellowship with us while we're here on this earth. His presence in my life gives me an inheritance, but part of that inheritance is he wants to stay in fellowship with us. He doesn't want to break fellowship. He wants us to stay in fellowship with him. And so I look at this, and it says that he redeemed me. When I look at this, this is him releasing me from the bondage of sin. Listen, I no longer have to serve sin. Before I was saved, I had to. I didn't have a choice. Boy, I got a choice now. And I choose whether I'm going to serve sin or I'm going to serve my Savior. And I make a choice every day what I'm going to do. No one can cause you to sin. You choose to do it. He told the lady the day that she came, she said, he said to her, he said, listen, when they were ready to stone her, he said, listen, go and sin no more. If it weren't possible, he would never have said it. But boy, he knows how weak and frail we are. So he gave us 1 John 1, 9. <laughs> I want to stay in fellowship with you. The presence of Christ. This is not just what we do, but also a nature that we have. He freed us through his shed blood. When I look at this redemption, this is a ransom in full, isn't it? We were in bondage. He paid. <laughs> he paid it in full. And he said, now, I'm going to give you an inheritance. What a Savior. We just heard Kathy sing the song. <laughs> and you think about what a Savior we serve. He gave us forgiveness, and this is the presence of Christ. And so, before I move on, let me just kind of get your attention for just a moment. Just if you could just focus in for just a second. Is he present in your life? Do you know if you died today that heaven is your home? Are you 100% sure? Do you remember a time when you prayed and you asked Jesus Christ to save you? Listen, if you did, heaven's your home. I'm not trying to jockey you to get there. It's already my home. I just need to live like a saved person. God reveals to us also in the scriptures that Christ must be important to us. Look at verse 15. He said, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? And notice about him, and this is why I love these verses all the way down to verse 17. He said, for by him were all things created. <laughs> hey, listen, you know what that's assurance of? In the beginning, God. Isn't that wonderful? Here we are all the way over in Colossians, and what's he reaffirming? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, isn't it? Look at this passage again. It says here, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. Now notice. He didn't leave it at that because Paul could have just left it there, couldn't he? Watch how detailed this gets as he goes down the line. He says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. And notice this, and for him. And then he goes on, he didn't end it there. And he is before all things, and by him all things, what? Consist, everything is because of Jesus Christ. <laughs> everything is about him. The whole world is about Jesus Christ. <laughs> this whole book is about him. He, he told the Pharisees, have you not read? <laughs> have you not read this? Do you not know that this is about me? The Word of God is about Jesus Christ. Whether you're in the Old Testament or the New, it makes no matter. It is about our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was written by Him and for Him. Amen. And I look to the Scriptures and I see the idea of how He should be very important to us. That's the prominence. This is the importance of Christ in our life. This is, not, this is, this is really another stage in your, in, your, in your faith. See, having Him present gives me that inheritance. It puts me in heaven, but... Christ is saying, look, it goes beyond that. I need some recognition from you by who I am in your life. You see, when we get saved, uh, if, we can, if we confess him as Lord and master of our life, he's not just Lord, he's now master of our life. He becomes all things to me. 
And when I see this, the presence of Christ is salvation, but making Christ prominent is you taking that next step of importance in your Christian life. If someone or something's prominent, they hold a very high place in your life. Would you agree with that? If something's prominent to you or something matters to you, it holds a high place, doesn't it? And and there are things throughout our lives. I I share this, and I, I believe I've shared this with you before, but my dad gave me a ring. Uh, I graduated from uh, uh, college, and he gave me a ring. And uh, he, he handed that ring to me, and I took that ring. And, and you know, I looked at it, and, and through the years, it's tarnished and different things. And I found out the ring is worthless. It's not worth anything. Brother Bill, it means so much to me. <laughs> I'll never get rid of it. My dad gave that to me. I accomplished something and he gave it to me. It means everything to me. And, and I began to think about how I hold on to that ring and I know where that ring is and I know the condition of the ring and I know how I wipe it off and I know how I kind of clean it a little bit, you know, just to take care of it. It's not gold. To you, if you saw it, you'd probably throw it in the trash. But it holds a big place in my life because of the man who gave it to me. Are you with me? Jesus Christ gave you everlasting life. He gave you an inheritance. What place does he hold in your life? What place does he hold in your life? Where do you hold him? How important is he to you? Do you meet with him every day? (laughs) Do you talk to him every day? Do you read his love letter to you every day? Do you say, oh dear Lord, I love your word and I want to know you better. And the only way you're going to get to know him better is to know him through his word, through prayer, through, through meeting with him, through talking to him. And, and he wants to work in your life and he wants to help you in your life. And I look at this, if someone is, or something is important, it holds a high place of importance in your life. All things are by him and for him, after him, and all things are under him. Christ having prominence in our lives brings us to the place of what I would call recognition. We need to recognize him every day. Let me give you a couple of things, and you can write these down if you want. Make Christ the center of your life. Make Christ the center of your life. Make Christ the center of your life. You say, preacher, how do you do that? Every day you ought to meet with him. Every day you ought to tell him how you love him. You want to talk to him. You want to read his word. You're looking to have that strong relationship with him. I want to meet with you, Jesus. (laughs) I want to meet with you. Hey, listen, make him the center of your life. Read his word every day. Every day say, Lord, I want to memorize some other scripture. Lord, I want to meet with you because I love you. And and, and I just want to know you better. And I want to have this wonderful relationship with my Savior. And so I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to make him the center of my life. Listen to me. Not only make Christ the center of your life, make Christ the center of your relationships. Relationships that you have with others, Christ ought to be the center of that. Is Christ the center of all the relationships that you have with other people? And what it is is that, listen, you can have a forgiving heart if he's the center of those relationships. You can have a forgiving spirit. You can have the right attitude even when they have the wrong attitude toward you. You can have the right attitude. Why? Because Christ is the center of my what? Relationships. Hey, listen, he promised me in the scriptures that he'll even make my enemies my friend. Isn't that what it says in the scriptures? He said, I'll even make your enemies your friends. Hey, listen, if I make him the center of all my relationships, then I come to that place where even when I've been persecuted by someone else, I can forgive. Why? Because he is the center of my relationships, isn't he? He's the center of them. Let me give you this. Make Christ the center of your marriage. Amen? We have a huge divorce rate in our nation today. Huge. Now, let me share that with you. I'll get the statistics for you, but it's high among Christians today. And here's the thing. Christ needs to be the center of your marriage. He needs to be the center of all that you're doing. So you say, well, how do I make him the center of my marriage? Well, how about let's start by, first of all, making sure you marry a saved person. (laughs) Right? Make sure they're saved first before you marry them. Then if they're saved, the other thing is, is do they really know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they have a relationship with him? 
Do they attend church? Do they read their Bible? Uh, do they study the Word of God? Do they pray with you? Uh, do they do these things? Uh, do they give? Do they tithe? Do they serve? Ask some questions. If they are not that person, you're probably getting into a rough marriage even though the person says, I'm a Christian. Believe me, a person can be a Christian and not be a very spiritual person. And they can have that name Christian, but they can be not very spiritual. Agreed? And so what it is is that it's not just that I'm a Christian, but I'm living a spiritual life because I love Jesus. It's not because of what other people think about me. It's not because of what other people say about me. It's not because of what things uh, might go on inside the church, outside the church, in my home. It is truly about my relationship with Jesus Christ. And if he is the center of my marriage, he's the center of my marriage. Amen? And what I want to do is make him that. Read the Bible together. Pray together. Make decisions together. Don't throw each other under the bus. Things go wrong, and the first thing we want to do is throw our spouse under the bus. And the thing is, is that that's not a spiritual marriage. A spiritual marriage is one that says, let's come together, let's pray together. When things go wrong, it's not time to separate, it's time to pray. It's time to get together, it's time to get on our knees, it's time to ask God, Lord, what would we do? What do we do? How do we do this? And you read the Bible together, and you pray together, and you spend time together, and you go to church together, and you serve together, and you do things together for God's sake, not for the sake of man. You do it for God. Amen. And you serve Him. You make Him the center of your marriage. Make Him the center of your children's lives. Pray with your kids. Read the Word of God to your children. You say, my kids are grown. Hey, when they come over at Christmas or Thanksgiving, pull the Bible out, sit down, pray together. Say, hey, let's pray together. Let's read some scripture before we get started here. And fellowship is wonderful with our families sometimes, but the bottom line is Christ ought to be the center of it, amen? Hey, when the Christmas gifts come out, buddy, woo, the paper starts flying, but rarely is the Bible opened anymore. And the thing of it is, is that Make Christ the center of your children's lives. You say, well, how do you do that, preacher? Well, when you correct them, tell them the reason that you're correcting them according to the Scriptures. Don't just wail on them and say, now get out of here. <laughs> you tell them what is the reason that this is happening, what they did and what God's Word says and what you need to do about it. Listen, make Christ the center of your children's lives. And when you mess up, when you mess up, you need to say, listen, I need to ask you to forgive me. Why? Because that is important for them to see that we are not flawless. We make mistakes too. And we ask them to forgive us. Make Christ the center of your children's lives. Here's another. Make Christ the center of your finances. Make him the center of your finances. Do you pray about financial decisions that you're going to make in your home? I didn't say, did you go to God and say, God, listen, this is what I'm doing, and I want you to bless it. <laughs> That's what we do. We go do it, and then we ask God to bless what we've done. And it wasn't God's intent for you to do it to begin with. And we're fearful. You know why? Because God would say, no, I don't want you to do that right now. <laughs> And you need to pray with your wife. You don't need to make a decision, man, and just go tell your wives, hey, listen, this is what I've done. Well, I'm the head of my household. Well, good for you. It says, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. We forget that verse, don't we? And the reality is, is we make decisions together, and we pray together, and we ask God together, God, what is it that you would have us to do? Not, Lord, I'm the head of this household, and bless God, this is what I'm doing. And she'll just have to live with it. That's foolishness. That's not Christ being the center of your marriage. That's not Christ being the center of your life. That's not Christ being the center of your finances. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been wanting a Ford F-250 uh, dually for a long time that was hunt green with tan leather interior. And bless God, they can go without pizza this month. And I'm going to get my truck, bless God. And she'll have to live with it. And I'll let her know when I get it done. And she'll just have to live with it. Very unwise. And the thing of it is, is we go about making decisions apart from God and apart from our spouses, and sometimes we just mess up our finances terribly. Terribly. 
My father-in-law used to make a statement all the time. He said, you know, sometimes my wife can spend more in a handbasket than I can in a whole day. I share with my wife occasionally, you know, if you go to the Dollar Tree, everything's a dollar, but if you spend $100, you still spend $100, even if it's just a dollar piece, but if you get 100 things, right? Well, you just spend 100 bucks. I'm not mad at her. I just don't understand it all. Trinkets and stuff. And I love my wife. But if you spend $100, you spend $100. If I said, honey, we just prayed about this. We just talked about this. Why only spend, these are only a dollar. I know, but you have a hundred of them. Good preaching, amen. Amen. <laughs> now, my wife's very thrifty. She is. I love it. She loves Goodwill. She loves Agape. She loves those special places. She has a special place in my heart because of that. <laughs> Saves money. Here's the thing. Is Christ the center of your finances? Do you pray about things? You know, when we're buying groceries, we sit down and we talk. You say, oh, you're just going to buy groceries? No, we set up a budget. We talk about what we're going to spend at the grocery store. And that means this month, no cheeses for Emily. <laughs> amen. Just say amen real loud so she can hear you. But the thing of it is, is you talk about it, don't you? And, and we, we discuss things and we pray about things. That's making Christ the center of our finances. Hey, listen, this is, a, this is a strong one. Make Christ the center of your activities. Make Christ the center of your activities. What are you doing to entertain yourself? Think about your entertainment and what are you doing to entertain yourselves? Now, here's the thing. If it's not Christ-centered, it's probably not healthy. Well, let me tell you, I know so-and-so does such and such as well. So What? I didn't ask you what so-and-so did. What so-and-so does has nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. What you do does. And we ought to be concerned about the types of activities that we're allowing into our homes. Hey, listen, those cell phones are a great tool, but they can be a tool of destruction as well in the hands of people. We need to be careful with them things. How are you entertaining yourself? It's just a meme. It's just this. It's just that. And what are we doing? Just justifying it to ourselves, right? It's only three seconds long or two seconds long or one second long or whatever long it was. Yeah, sure, they used the Lord's name in vain, but it ain't no big deal. They didn't mean it that way. Huh? What are you using to entertain yourselves in the home? What kinds of activities are you involving yourself with? Make Christ the center of your activities. This, make Christ the center of your worship. Make Christ the center of your worship. When you come to church, we do serve others, but listen, it's about Jesus Christ, amen? amen. We ought to come in, and when we sing, we're singing unto the Lord, amen? amen. When, we, when we listen to the preaching, we're hearing the Word of God, we're allowing God to affect us, allowing God to speak to our hearts. When we're reading the Word of God, we're letting God speak to us. We're allowing God to do some things in our lives. Listen, make Christ the center of your worship. So many churches today are making Christ secondary to the service. And, and you have to be cautious of that because if you're going in and it's 90% a rock concert, and, and listen, I just want to give you this nugget that you might walk away with something, we need to be cautious about that because you're turning it upside down. Listen, he built this church not to be an entertainment center. He built this church that he might be glorified in it. Amen. And the purpose of the church is not to entertain people, although you may be entertained. But the fact is, is he built this so that he might be glorified, that his word might be preached. Listen, he allowed these things to happen. Make Christ the center of your worship. Here's the thing. Understand that you cannot go off the rails of life if Christ is the center of your life. You're not going to do it. Listen to what I just said. You're not going to go off the rails of life if Christ is the center of your life. Amen. You can't because he's going to guide you the whole way. He's got you on the right track, not on the wrong track. He's got you on the right path, not the wrong path. You're no longer walking down Broad Street. You're down to a point where you're making a choice, and you're going to choose if you love me, keep my commandments, or I'm going to get in the flesh and do what I want to do, and I don't care what he says. And that's what happens to us. 
he loves you. <laughs> Jesus Christ loves you. Hey, listen, he loves you, and he wants to have a strong bond with you. And listen, through your salvation, it's a wonderful thing he's present. But listen, have him in your daily walk. <laughs> walk with him. Talk to him. If, if, if what was read is true in your life, and then why do we turn and walk away uh, from Jesus? Sometimes we get in the middle of a crisis. The first thing we do is think, let's get away from him. <laughs> if he's the center of your life when a crisis comes, you're going to get on your knees and say, Lord, I need you in this. Amen. Hey, hold on a second. Hey, how about when things are really going well and I'm on the mountaintop? What makes me think I could just walk away from him? Because there are people who get on the mountaintop and walk away from him too. Because everything's good. The bank account's full. I got a brand new car. I got clothes. I got food in the fridge. My mortgage is paid. Listen, we got money in the bank. Man, things are going great. Who needs Jesus? Who needs him? How many of you know the Home Shopping Network? Every lady, raise her hand. Come on. <laughs> How many of you know the Home Shopping Network? The guy who started the Home Shopping Network, before he passed away, he got to know Hope Children's Home down in Florida. And so down in Hope Children's Home, at the end of his life, he decided he wanted to do something. By the way, Larry, he was a rotten man. I mean, he was terrible. I mean, he was an awful person. You ask anybody, I mean, he was mean. He was mean to his family, mean to his wife, mean to his kids. I mean, he's a terrible guy. But he ended up getting saved toward the end of his life. But early on, he was going to church, and he walked away from God. He said, what do I need God for? Look at all this money I got. Look at all the things I have. He sold off the business, was pretty close to a billionaire. <laughs> Went down to Hope Children's Home and saw what was going on down there. And so he decided he wanted to do something. He passed away before he ever got to see it. But his daughter, who got saved, <laughs> followed through on it. There's a cottage down at Hope Children's Home now in his name. And his daughter will tell the story. My daddy was a rotten man. He got saved in the end. He wanted to do something for the Lord before he died. It ended up being at Hope Children's Home. You see, folks, our life matters. What we do with our life matters. How we live our life matters. Yeah? You see, people see that home down there and they remember this guy. And even his own daughter said, he's a rotten man. <laughs> he got saved, but he was a rotten man. Mean, unkind, unholy. And the thing of it is, is he gets to the end of his life and he wants to do something good now. And what do the people really remember? And he said, well, he had a lot of money. What matters? Well, God took that money from that wealthy man and built a home. <laughs> he did something good with it. My challenge to you is this. When you are in the middle of a crisis in your life, don't turn away from God. If what is said here is true, then we would want to turn to the one that has the power to overcome. How many of you know Romans 8, 37 through 39? He said, nay, in all things we are more than what? We're more than conquerors, aren't we? More than conquerors. More than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know when you read that passage, you know what's amazing about that passage? <laughs> he never mentions a person. <laughs> and yet, when he opens it, he said, who shall separate us from the love of God? Do you know who can do that? Us. We can do that. That's why. But he said... I want you to notice all the things that are said. He's not mentioning people. But he said, and I don't know about you, when you read the scriptures, do you ever read it and go, wait, wait a minute, he's not even talking about anybody. What's he talking about? If he said who, you would think some names would come after that, wouldn't you? Read it with me again. Turn there. Look at it with me. Look at Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 37 through 39. He said, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors to him that loves us. For I am persuaded... That neither death, that's not a person, nor life, that's not a person, nor angels, that's not a person, nor principalities, that's not a person, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to know something. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It is a choice you make. You choose to walk away from God. 
God does not choose to walk away from you. Listen, the Bible clearly says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you, won't he? God tells us in the scriptures, draw nigh unto God and he'll do something. What will he do? He'll draw nigh unto you. And the thing of it is, is God's not looking to get away from you. He's looking to get closer to you and he wants to have that prominence in your life. Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God said, if you want to be close to me, there's a power that works in you and you'll choose to be close to me. Because I want to tell you something. It is his Holy Spirit that indwells us. Amen? Amen. It is his Holy Spirit that indwells us. God does not want to be separated from his Holy Spirit. And listen, when I'm walking in sin, I can't be in fellowship with God. God knows it. And here's the thing. He wants to be in fellowship with you. He wants to walk close with you. He wants to be prominent in your life. And you are the one that has to make the choice to do so. When I look to the Bible, and I say, saved person, how important is Christ to you in your daily life? Is he the center of your life? When you see Christ from this perspective, he has promise. There's one last stage and I'm done. The scriptures also teach us that Jesus Christ shall have precedence in our life. But he also teaches us that he has to have preeminence. Notice what it says. That in all things, look at verse 18 in Colossians chapter 1, the last part of that verse. That in all things, how many things folks? That in all things, listen to me, he might have what? The preeminence that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, when we get to the subject of preeminence, this is supremacy, this is dominance, this is having first place. Uh, one of my pastor's favorite verses was Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How many of us in here will admittedly say, you know, I worry about things. I worry. Amen. I worry about things. And if you go read that, that's all about anxiety in there. <laughs> and it's all the things that we're anxious over. What we own, what we drive, the clothes we wear, what we eat, how we're going to get it, what color is my hair, how do I comb it. I mean, it's just everything and anything you can think of. And here's what God said. <laughs> but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will still be added unto you. So what is the first thing we ought to do? We ought to seek him out first, would you agree? He ought to be dominant, preeminent in our lives. Does Christ have first place in your life is the challenge. It is not just about his presence. It's not just about him being prominent, but is he preeminent in your life? Luke 19, 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in thine house. Listen, he said, I must be in your home. <laughs> You see, when he was talking to him, he was talking about, I need to be in you. But he was like, I need to house you. <laughs> I need to be in you, and I need to be in your house. I want to ask you something. If Jesus today was in the flesh, and he came, and he knocked on your door right now, this morning, would you just welcome him in? Because there are some things I'd have to put away first. Is there some things I might need to get rid of? Is there some things I might need to do away with? <laughs> How many of you know the Bible says and Jesus knew their thoughts? <laughs> it's powerful, isn't it? Is he preeminent? Here's the challenge. He's the head of the body. The church is church first place in your life. Christ gave himself for it, and if it was important to him, it ought to be important to us. Amen? Amen. Church ought to be important to us. When I look to the scriptures, I see this, and this stage of your Christian life is you elevating that one who saved your soul, the one that's the center of your life, to a place that you do not move or make a decision or, or make a change or change direction. You, you don't do anything without considering him first. Are you with me? Let me give you a verse. You can write this down. We're not going to turn there for just the sake of time. Write this down and you go read it at a later time. Acts 17, 27 through 28. Acts 17, 27 through 28 that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live, listen to this, we live and move and have our being 
as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. <laughs> if you're a child of God, he is preeminent in your life, and you do not move or breathe or do anything without consulting him. Amen. He said if he is preeminent, he's preeminent in all things. He's in my relationships, he's in my life, he's in my marriage, he's in my finances, he's in my worship, he is in my kid's life, he's in everything that I do. He's prominent, and now he needs to become preeminent, and it says very clearly, for, for in him we live and move and have our being. Without him, you can do what? Nothing. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And I look to the scriptures, and this is why we should allow the very thing that Christ died for to have preeminence in our life. You know, the Bible clearly tells us, me that this is the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. <laughs> hey, you may not like me, but if you're a member of this church, we're a part of this body. Amen. 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 It doesn't matter whether you like me or not. God allowed me to be here. Amen. And so even if you don't like me, you're a part of this body. You know, I often thought, I have a wonderful friend. He's the president of the college down at Ambassador Baptist College, out, Brother Alton Bill. Brother Alton Bill was out riding motorcycles with his son. And when he was riding motorcycles with his son, uh, they wrecked the bike, and his hand went up into the sprocket and took his thumb off. And they were never able to put it back on. And so Brother Bill is without a, a thumb on that hand. And we were talking one day, and he said, you know, Brother Warnick, he said, I never realized how important this thing was until I didn't have it. He said, even when I pick up a coffee cup, he said, I reach through it and pull it toward me now to lift up the cup. He said, I have even tried to press a button one time realizing it's not there. He said, you know, I didn't realize how important that thing was until it was gone. Every one of us are a member of this body. Amen. Amen. Yeah? Amen. Yeah, so if you're a member of this church, you're a member of this body. Amen. Hey, if the thumb's gone, it makes it hard to do the work sometimes, doesn't it? Lord. Mike Higgins, Dr. Mike Higgins down at Hope Children's Home. He was mowing the lawn. He fell. When he did, this was before they had those releases where the mower shuts off. He took off his big toe. You know what he told me, Chris? It took him months to figure out how to stay stable without a toe. It wasn't important to him until it was gone. And he said, you know, when you walk, you don't realize how much you use your big toe. And all I had was an ingrown toenail taken out one time. They had it all wrapped up, and I felt like I was walking weird. You know, and I realized a little bit about what he was talking about, but he don't have a toe. When the toe's missing, things get off balance, don't they? And see, what people don't realize is that every one of us are part of this body. <laughs> you know, this is a family. How many of you realize that? We're in the family of God, God aren't we? <laughs> Guess what families do? We fight, don't we? <laughs> and we argue. And we get mad at each other. But you know, in the end, you've got to kind of work things out and move on. <laughs> and that's really what has to happen. Now, I know none of you are like me because none of you ever fight with your spouses or your children or family members. I mean, I know you all get along so well, and you look so angelic this morning. <laughs> but the thing of it is, is we're a family, Amen. and families fight. Families have different opinions. Really? They have different points of view at times, don't they? But do you know, if this is the center of it all, it'll settle it all? If this is the center of it all, it'll settle it all. There's no question, okay, this is truth. This is not just truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth, right? Something can be true and not good. <laughs> this is truth, and it's very healthy. <laughs> and so we need to put truth into effect. This is why we should realize, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So all of the members make up the body. So when one's absent, it affects it. The Bible says he is the beginning. He's the origin. He's the power. He's the authority of the local church. He is. It's not me. I'm on under shepherd. 
And what he said was, he's the power, he's the authority. He's the one that runs the show. And, and listen, this ought to be what runs the show, amen? amen. This, is the, this is the word, this is how we do things. When I look at this, he's the firstborn from the dead. When you look at that, you say, wait a minute, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Yeah, he came back in the flesh. Jesus was the first one resurrected. <laughs> Amen? Jesus was the first one resurrected. Listen, Lazarus wasn't resurrected. He was resuscitated. He came back in a fleshly body. When I look to the scriptures and I see this, the first one resurrected from the dead into a glorious body that he might have preeminence first place. So first place is so important to many. I, I was sharing, I was joking with you, when the Cleveland Browns won, I, I was like, man, I can't believe this, they're doing well. We like our sports teams to be where? In last place? Or in what? First place. We like them to be in first place. Now, when I get out on the highway, Mike, I realize there's some people that drive out there that want to always be in first place. They have to pass everything on the road. It doesn't matter what's in front of them, they got to be in front. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I got to be out front. When I see tractor trailers in front of me, Jimmy, I get aggravated sometimes. We were driving the other day. We were going over toward Van Wert, and I said, this tractor trailer is in front of us, and I am missing the view, Larry. <laughs> it's like it's so close. I was like, I started backing up a little bit, and I said, I still can't see. I said, is that Jimmy Simpson in front of me? Get him out of here. <laughs> And the thing of it is, is you, you, you don't like anybody in front of you. How many of you know people like that? They cannot have anybody in front of them. They got to pass everything. <laughs> and, and so they got to be out front. I, I thought about sports teams. I thought about being out on the highway. I thought about even some people have to have status in the community. They want to be known by everybody. That's important to them. <laughs> That's first place. That's everybody knows my name. <laughs> And then I got to thinking about this. Christ wants that. He wants you to know his name. He should be first Amen. above all things. Let me finish with this. This is a, a status that I would say that Christ ought to have in our lives. And I want to challenge you as I close. Christ being your all in all, and without him you can't do anything, so... Don't make any decisions without him. Don't make any decisions without him. Don't make any choices. Don't move. Don't do until you consult with him. That doesn't mean stay on the couch and do nothing. <laughs> that means pray to him and move about your day as you pray and be led of the, of the Savior. Let him lead you. Let's give him that place that he deserves today that preeminence.